All right, welcome everybody into another edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I am back from Brazil. Thank goodness. Back I mean, from I like Brazil. Brazil. Don't get me wrong. It was it was a wonderful time. But that being said, I just think I, I'm happy to be back for the Jazz and free agency time, and really what's the most exciting time of the off season. So, again, my name is Andy Larson. Um, I'm here along with Ben Dowsett, the extraordinaire. I've just I'm just going to shorten it to extraordinaire, yep. and then. Um, I you know I won't have to call you writer or editor or anything. I, I have no issues with this. We have a lot in the jazz world to talk about, especially free agency this week. Uh, so Gordon Hayward, there's a lot of news to discuss with him. Yesterday it was rumored and then reported by Adrian Wojnarowski that the Jazz that the Cavaliers were going to or were at least seriously looking at extending a maximum offer to Gordon Hayward. Then it seems like sources around the NBA, including Sam Amico from I believe. Fox Sports Ohio mm-hmm. kind of rolled back on that and saying, you know, maybe not so fast on that. Maybe that was a report coming out of Mark Bartlestein's camp, the agent for Gordon Hayward. So I do want to at least look at, though, because I, I, I think some team will offer him max money, regardless of whether it's Cleveland, if it's Phoenix, whether it's I think even Orlando might be a possibility. Um, and of course, the Boston Celtics with the Brad Stevens connection. So I, I want to look at a whether or not that's reasonable in, in your my opinion. And then B, I want to kind of look at the the philosophy of building a team. You know, at, at what point is it okay to say make an overpayment for a maximum player? Do you give a guy like Gordon Hayward, who's you know we've learned this season is not a number one franchise guy, max money? Can you can you afford to do that as you try to build a contending team? So I've put a lot on our plate. Um, and while I go ahead and lay out the show, I should also point out that Jacob Rosen from Wait for Next Year, which is a Cleveland f- uh, fan blog. Which a perfect name for any Cleveland a, tra- a tradition of hope, passion, and misery. That's the byline <laughs> on the site. It's great. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of person we'll be talking to. He also is a staff member at the Sports Analytics blog, and I've met him at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference this year. So Very smart um, guy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. That'll be in about 12 minutes. So, Ben, I, I do want to get your opinion. First of all, is Gordon Hayward worth a maximum contract? Well, for... And- my answer in a in a in a vacuum, which I love that that phrase is is yes. Um, Wait, and, yes? yes, in a vacuum, completely out. <clears throat> given given the state of what I believe is the current state That's of the not NBA, a vacuum. Well, okay, okay, okay no, so okay. Yeah, get, like non in a non team context, I think is the way I meant to, and in right. a specific jazz team context, also I believe yes. And we we of course should qualify that with the reminder that that plenty of folks needed to to show yesterday, which is true, is that when we say max, people do have to realize that there are different levels of the max. With Gordon Hayward just coming off of his rookie deal, he can't you know he can't get the same max that LeBron or, or Carmelo Anthony can. Yeah, get. he's not going to be paid the Kobe level. Right? Yeah, no. We're not talking about you know eating more than a third of his team's cap in one in one shot. Now we are talking about roughly about a fifteen million a year type of deal, slightly more. I think it's like four years, sixty three. I think is the max right. roughly that he can be offered. Now, and you know we're going to get into fairly deeply potentially into some some more macro level stuff in terms of team building and in, in terms of uh, of roster construction and payroll and probably things like the CBA advancing in the next couple of years. And these of course play into this type of thing. But I just. In general, yes, I think that of course you have to know that in a market like Utah and in really any any non major market, you're going to have to pay a small premium for an up small premium above their real worth for to keep the players that are good on your team. And 
I I don't believe that last year is the way Hayward performed last year is going to be the standard for his career. I really believe there were several areas in which he was badly utilized and overused. Um, and I I I really think that in a new system with a new coach who's I think going to be a lot more. Uh, friendly to his style of game and a lot of the jazz ball handler style of game in general um, with some more young talent coming in and a very potentially a return to the type of role that I think is more correct for him which is not as the primary creator of an offense but as a, a secondary option there who can also do a lot of other things at, you know very well maybe not on an elite level that's something folks like to bring up but he does plenty of things very well and also was a 40% three-point shooter a couple of years ago which I, I think he should absolutely be getting back to I do I do think it's worth it to as a starter. So you're thinking if he puts it all together, if he puts together the kind of the efficiency from last season and I guess the cumulative numbers from this season, that he's worth the 15 million. Right? I do, yeah, I, I do think so. Yeah, I just don't see how he does that if he's not the number one guy. And if he's the number one guy, then does he is he able to raise that efficiency back to the level that it was two years ago? Uh, I don't know that I mean, we talk about number one guy and 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 first options and things like that, and I, I don't know that the team construct that the Jazz are going for in the future. And I wrote some about this yesterday in a, a piece I did on Dante Exum. Uh, it, it was more general the, the talking that I was doing in the, in that piece, but I think that for the for a team like the Jazz who are but you know they've got a favors that they've already signed for just over 12 a year that's again that's not superstar money but that's definitely not role player money right um there are going to be a couple of guys in the next couple you know we're not sure what they're going to do with Alec Burks this year we're going to have Trey Burke uh in another year or two we're not sure what's going to happen there and then you know down the line a few years we may even have a, a Dante Exum if he's a performer and I just I'm not sure that the Jazz are necessarily going building the type of team where they have to have a number one option. I, I really believe that the Jazz are looking for a very very Spursian type of of trajectory for the franchise here, where they're building a wing rotation, as I mentioned in my piece yesterday, that is extremely flexible. Pieces that can come out and be replaced that based on matchups, based on on favorable things that Quinn Snyder is looking at, and. I, I just think that's more of the type of team construct than a, you know needing to define a specific player role based on how much they're getting paid. I understand, of course, that cap issues are a concern with these types of things, but I've looked at the, the math even over the next couple of years, and the, the Jazz will absolutely have the money. Like, let's say you know they give hey, they match a max offer for Hayward, and then a couple other guys make big leaps. Like either Burke or Burks or Exum has a huge leap in the next few years and they need to pay that person real money. They're not only going to have the room to do that, but given the right little moves that they make with some other smaller salary, they could easily have the room for that plus larger, you know, a, a fair, you know, a medium max style salary within the next couple of years. Plus, Even- and, even if they give big extensions to Alec Burks and Ennis Cantor, um, that I don't. It would depend on whether they how much exactly they gave to both those right. guys. I mean, they can't give you know they can't give eight figures a year to both those guys, and and but I don't think that's a realistic possibility anyway uh, yeah. of them giving you know a, a large salary to both. I think they're probably picking one. I don't, I don't know. If that's that's a general. Well, so then uh, I guess that's my point is that if you have a maximum deal for Hayward, then I think you kind of have to choose one of. Burke, Burks, or Cantor when their free agency extensions come up, uh, or free agency or extensions or what what have you. I mean, I just don't think that you can give them the kind of money that they're going to demand, especially as we look at, like, Jody Meek's kind of $7 million a year kind of contract. Yeah. You know, Alec Burks is worth 10 in that world, right? 
I I guess I, those jo- types of Jody Meeks things always just make me cringe as a, from that exact type of standpoint right. that in a couple years we're going to be looking to re-sign some wing players that almost certainly are at least as valuable as him and it's like that guy's really worth seven mil. I to me he's yeah, not then, I don't know uh, I mean and for and I'm the guy who was just talking about how you do need to pay a bit of an inflation fee which you do but uh, first of all I'm not sure what my opinions would be of, of if they had to make a choice between those three or maybe two of those three uh, I do think there's a chance at least that first of all I think Alec Burks of course to me he, he's very undervalued I, and I really think that there's a chance that the general market values him less than the Jazz do. Well, okay, but is there anyone in the world who thinks Jody Meeks is a better player than Alec Burke? No. I mean, besides the Laker fan crazies. Uh, I guess he was able to fill up a lot of stats last year, and he was a better three-point shooter, but no. No, 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 no right, overall. no. So, again, I think Alec Burks gets 10 in, in this world. If Alec Burks is a free agent this year instead of next year, he gets 10, right? I mean, and then you look at maybe the cap building and stuff like that. Uh, you know, if he's a free agent next season, I don't see why salaries would decrease from next offseason yeah to last off. well and you you did mention one thing that i do find important and that's that we the, the cap is expected to rise to increase greatly right. uh, over the next very likely within two years when the new tv deal is going to be in 2016 the summer I believe, well in, the, in two years right so yeah in uh, 2016 is when the contract is renegotiated yeah. so that means that the rise the big rise won't happen Until for at least that. another two more seasons yeah so uh, I guess what I'm saying is, in the meantime, next year you have Alec Burks and Ennis Cantor as restricted free agents, and uh, I don't think you have to make a decision on Trey Burke until the next season, no. as far as an extension. But as, as far as those two guys, you have to kind of figure out who who you're gonna who you're gonna ride, right? Who mm-hmm. you're gonna go with. And, and so I, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but I, I think if if I were in front in charge of the Jazz, I would ma- I would match Max Steel. Yeah. I would because ultimately I think you can't lose a player like Hayward for for nothing. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a little bit of an overpay, we've learned in this free agency period that no matter what, you're going to be ending up overpaying somebody. Yeah. Might as well be someone at a max level rather than a, a Jody Meeks or Ben Gordon type. That being said, I the other reason why I'm comfortable with it, even though it kind of does mean that you have to choose one of Burke, Cantor, or Burks, is that ultimately I don't think that it's very likely that all three of those guys end up better than Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. would be. Yeah, I in fact, if more than one of them ends up better than Gordon Hayward, that it would be surprising, right? Right. Uh, and and we get to a point as well where this is something that we've been discussing a lot recently, and not just you and I, but in general in in, in the jazz world, is that at some point the the number of young assets that you have is going to trim. At some point, when you've got what like eight young assets right now. They're not eventually if they all pan out or if a few of them are decent, a few of them are also going to have to go because yeah. when you get to the point where that where it doesn't work salary wise, that's just that's just what happens. And I think the Jazz are we're not at that point yet, but they're within a couple seasons, assuming some good play from their got from guys who are up for extensions in the next few years, then th- that is going to be a reality that the Jazz are going to have to face at some point, especially if they want, you know, if they really do reach contender status within a year or two here and they want to bring in the typical type of, of veteran presences that you want to have on the, you know, on a, on a roster that is really trying to compete for things, which the, you know, the Jazz don't really have a whole lot of that currently rostered right now. They'll probably bring in a couple of veterans uh, before the summer's over, but you were they to be a contending Western Conference playoff team, those types of pieces become pretty important. Right. But, I mean, I think we both agree that's not happening next season. No, right? no, so, absolutely not. You know, you kind of have to 
put that in when it makes sense. Exactly. And in, in the meantime, it probably makes sense to roll the dice on these young guys and see which mm-hmm. of them can become things and which of them are, are worth moving on. Yeah, and, you know, for the time being, matching with the Jazz are clearly comfortable enough to match a max offer for Hayward. They're going to have still a lot of room going into next year. They could make several more moves this summer after doing so if they wanted to. And, and there are the potentials down the road for things to start becoming a little bit clogged. But again, I, I just think the overall value of, and, and with, you know, projecting a salary cap that may get as high as $80 million in a, in a few years with the, with the new rights deal and everything like that to where 15 might not seem as huge of a deal. And realistically, is, is this Jazz team really looking to be a Western Conference contender in either of the next two seasons? I mean, I, I can't read a crystal ball, but very likely not this year. I suppose the year after that, if everybody comes along pretty well and they make a good signing or two, it could absolutely be possible. I think they'd want to be in the playoffs. I don't know mm-hmm. about a, a contender yeah. you know, at the Oklahoma City-San yeah. Antonio level. I, I think the time for that, realistically, is hopefully in the on, in those last couple of years of Hayward's contract, depending on if, you know, if they give him four years or if the Jazz maybe decide to tender their own type of offer and give him five. Uh, those, those back years are going to be the ones where the you know the Jazz are potentially really looking to to maximize on this core that they've got they've built themselves over the last few years. And if that's the case, and if the cap in those years is projected to be something close to eighty, which is you know like seventeen to fifteen to seventeen million more than it's going to be this year, that's a huge difference to where a fifteen a year player like Hayward, if he performs at the level that I. I think is honestly pretty realistic for him that it, it's a slight overpay but again to keep your stars in a small mar- or your, your good players at least in a, in a market like this it I think it's a necessary evil yeah and I think you have to look at the other options out there although I, I kind of like the Lance Stevenson one I want to talk with you about that later but Ooh, for okay. right now Jacob Rosen is on the phone Jacob are you there hi there hi there so Jacob by uh, we'll reintroduce him um is on rights for wait for next year, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or sorry, Cleveland General fan blog, right? You you guys cover the Cavs and the Browns and everything else, right? Yeah. And then uh, Sports Analytics blog is how I best know your work, as you kind of go around and, and look around the interwebs for various sports analytics content in, in basketball and other fields. And and you have you and I have actually met at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference as well. So absolutely. So anyway, I wanted to get your perspective, especially because you are a Cleveland guy and because so much has been happening with the Jazz and Cleveland recently. Um, in particular, how likely do you think it is that Cleveland does end up making an offer to Gordon Hayward? Uh, at this point in time, you know, it's, we're not really sure. Uh, the LeBron thing still is at limbo. Uh, other pieces could fall. Uh, if you asked me that question about noon yesterday, I would have said you know 90%. Hmm. Now I'd probably say closer to you know, 40%. Uh, we're just not really sure what the Cavs might be up to. You never know what the Cavs are doing. And uh, the the Hayward offer sheet, uh, to me, does make sense, but it's just I don't really know what the Cavs' plan is. And uh, there would be other moves that they would have to make if they do sign Hayward or if they do sign LeBron. So just lots of pieces in limbo at the moment. Is it just me or is, like, the Cavs' front office in, like, this weird relationship with the media in which they kind of float their any ideas that come over the cr- the top of their head that, like... And, and, of course, then these get endlessly reported, like the, the favors plus the number five for the number one deal. And, you know, it seems like Cleveland's been in the news more than any other NBA team over the last three weeks, and nearly none of it has actually come to fruition. Oh, yeah, the number one pick helps with that, obviously. Right, and right. In the case, three of the last four years, though, they have... Uh, happened to be in the news a lot in May and June and July for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but 
uh, there was a weird thing where David Griffin, the Cavs GM, went out and called out the media several times for reporting erroneous rumors of things that were never even on the table. Hmm. Uh, you don't know if maybe that's Gilbert uh, or Griffin or agents or anything like that throwing it out there. It's just all silly season. The Cavs are always the ones that are getting made fun of uh, in the national media. So it's you don't really know what's going to happen next with them. Uh, you know, Again, Hayward would be a good fit for them, I think. Uh, you have no idea who else they might be interested in the free agent market right now. So when you look at the analytics of Gordon Hayward, and, uh, do you think he is worth that maximum offer? Uh Technically, no. Uh, restricted free agents, if they're not going to be matched, the offer sheets are hardly ever worth what they're being paid. Um, but you know that in terms of free agency and restricted free agency. Uh, you also know that he's a 24-year-old, so you're not paying him for what he did as a 22- or 23-year-old. You're paying him for what he would do as a 26- and 27-year-old. Uh, so I don't think he's worth it right now. Um, but I think if the Cavs uh, do believe he's a good fit and do believe he's a productive player of what they have, then sure, it makes sense to overpay because that's just how free agency works. Yeah, that you know that's obviously an important thing that people have to consider. That I, I think some folks who are only really thinking on the first level really aren't aren't thinking that way. You're, of course, you're not paying for the last few years when you're signing a guy to a four or a five year deal. You're paying for the next, yeah. you're paying for the next few years. And uh, uh, Jacob, you actually did a piece uh, earlier in June uh, on waiting for next year about uh, about free agency and analyzing from an analytics point of view some of the top available wings uh, potentially in free. Now it's uncertain that the guys you looked at uh, were Trevor Ariza, Rudy Gay. You looked at Hayward, you looked at Chandler Parsons, and also PJ Tucker. Now it's unsure at this point. Uh, it's been that was on uh, June sixth, so it's been nearly a month since then. And some mm-hmm. of those, of course, might not be possible for various reasons. But do you want to just give like a little bit of an overview? How did how did Hayward stack up against some of these other wings that are available on the market? As from a Cleveland perspective, uh, or in a vacuum, what you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Sure, uh, Rudy Gay obviously opted into his yeah. deal for next season for nineteen million in Sacramento. So he's not on the market. And P.J. Tucker was a guy I just, I've always been interested in, so he's not really on the same scale as the others. But uh, for me, where uh, Hayward kind of compared uh, was that he's a young guy who's had increasing usage throughout his career. He kind of actually, uh, I know Rudy Gay has this negative stereotype about him, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of Rudy Gay. Uh, when Gay was young and playing in Memphis, he had low usage and he was an up-and-coming star. And that was the case with Hayward as well, a little bit. You know, his first couple of years, uh, how well he chopped the three-point ball uh, and things like that. And then this past season, obviously, Hayward had a much larger role in Utah. He had his usage go up tremendously. He was uh, His shots were very often unassisted. Uh, so it's, you really can't compare the stats from Hayward's first three seasons to his last year. It's a completely different role in the system. And so one of the guys I'd like to point out Hayward to, especially compared to Cavs fans, is Chandler Parsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parsons has had a three-fourth option kind of role throughout his career in Houston, and he's never, ever come close to the kind of usage and creation that Hayward had last season. So we know more about Hayward because we know what he did last year. He obviously wasn't that efficient shooting the ball, um, but we don't know what Chandler Parsons might do in such a role. He might be even worse. Uh, what we do know is that Hayward was a better shooter in the you know, complementary role, and we do know that Hayward has that experience at all. Uh, so Hayward also is a year and a half younger. So those are kind of the key points that I made. Uh, we know less about Chandler Parsons, and so we don't know how at all he might do if he takes on a larger role long term, and we know that there's a little bit less projection when he's also older, too. 
so if you were making an offer, if if you were obviously from a Cavs point of view, you're saying you'd in general you'd be looking at a Hayward type first, especially given that in Cleveland he will very likely have that sort of complementary role with Kyrie Irving just signing the large extension and with Andrew Wiggins at least expected to be a, a, a very impactful player within a few years. Yeah, I think uh, the Cavs for Hayward. You're obviously uh, at this point in time uh, making it with Hayward. If you're giving Hayward a offer sheet, you're thinking on getting rid of Deion Waiters, uh, just from a creation perspective. And a Kyrie Hayward-Wiggins threesome really does make a lot of sense in terms of spacing, in terms of the way in which they can all work off of each other. Uh, Deion Waiters was our secondary creator the past uh, couple seasons, so uh, I would imagine Hayward would take over that role and would also play a complementary spacing kind of role alongside Wiggins, who isn't a great shooter yet. Uh, but yeah, I, I would prefer Hayward over Chandler Parsons at that kind of deal. Uh, just in terms of the upside long-term still. And you know he can create a little bit uh, in spurts. And if you're you know paying him that kind of money, you're obviously also not going to have Deion Waiters, let alone Jared Jack and all the other point guards the Cavs still have. So you're, you're going to use Hayward somewhat in that role and also to work off of the long-term future of Irving and Wiggins, who are here for at least another six seasons. Yeah, in, in that sort of limited, the, the limited creator role, I think Hayward can be extremely mm-hmm. valuable. It's a, I, I make the comparison to like a light, ver, a very light version of, of a Manu Ginobili when he was in his prime, and, mm-hmm. and and not necessarily coming off the bench, not necessarily playing the exact type of role that Manu did, but he can do many things well, and occasionally when needed, he can create his own shot. That's not, but again, that's not something you want him doing ten or twelve times a game. Yeah. So I, I want change of pace. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple things that you know are tangentially re- related to the Jazz. First of all, the David Blatt hire. How how are you guys feeling in, in Cleveland about that? Do you think, and what kind of offense do you think he's going to be implementing in Cleveland? Uh, in Cleveland, we're just excited. It's not Mike Brown. You know, <laughs> think of two two different coaches than Mike Brown, the defensive, you know, Spursian kind of guy, and David Blatt, who's you know, rumored to be this offensive genius. We've started, you know, Cavs fans have started to watch some of the tape and things like that. Uh, I know Coach Nick from Basketball Breakdown did a nice little thing about uh, the kind of uh, cuts and things like that that Blatt ran over in Israel. Yeah, so, uh, so we're, we're excited just about utilizing uh, Kyrie Irving a little bit better, a little more effectively. Um, we hope that the Cavs will add the shooters that David Blatt usually preferred. Um, this past season, the Cavs were just horrendous shooting the ball and horrendous at stopping people on the wings. So... Uh, from the emphasis of three-point shooting, we hope that Blatt would do the things that are necessary in the competitive NBA today. Um, the Cavs have just been a mess the past several seasons. And from a watchability perspective, David Blatt's perhaps the most exciting option we could have ever thought of. Oh. Because you hope that the offense improves significantly. You hope that he utilizes Kyrie better. You hope that there are shooters to complement him. And, you know, <laughs> we in Cleveland are... Uh, you know, painfully optimistic at times and then really, really mad and angry after that. <laughs> so at, at the moment, we're still in the optimistic kind of hopeful stage. Um, and with Blatt's inexperience in the NBA, you know, we don't really know what else uh, could come next. Right. I have another question, but I want to ask you, what what happened with the Luol Deng thing last season, right? Because he seemed like a good fit in terms of being able to add that defensive wing presence that you talked about. And then it fell apart. It, it, he made no impact, it seemed. I mean, it, what happened kind of from an insider point of view? It, it, you know, he did make an impact from the perspective of we were like maybe 11 and 23 or something like that at the time of the trade, and we played 500 balls the rest of the season from there. So 
uh, the Cavs were better when they added Luol Deng and Spencer Hawes. They were. I think okay. fans often forget that. We were a much better team, especially offensively. Um, David Griffin also was in charge. All those kind of things happened at once for the Cavs. Where I think the Cavs messed up with Luol Deng is they viewed him maybe as a shooter, and Luol Deng throughout mm-hmm. his career has been a below-average yeah. shooter. He is a good defensive presence, a good passer, uh, a good guy slashing and finishing in the paint, uh, but he's not a shooter. And I think at first the Cavs were using him as a spot-up shooter, and that's not Luol Deng's role. And uh, the fans kind of turned on him because of that, and they expected him to score 20 points a game and shoot you know, 38% for three, and that's not him. Uh, so uh, Luol Deng did fine. Our small forwards the past four years have been horrendous. We've uh, since LeBron James, the guy with the second most minutes for the Cavs the last four years is Alonzo G. Mm. Uh, and if that doesn't say <laughs> what you need to say about the Cavs small forward, then I'm not sure. But Dang was clearly an upgrade over G, uh, clearly an upgrade over our three-point guard lineups we ran a lot this season. Um, and so he was fine. And he deserves to get uh, you know, 10 to $12 million a year from some other team. I just don't think he necessarily fits what Blatt wants to do with shooters and spacing. Makes sense. On that same topic of kind of the small forward rotation in, Kev- in Cleveland, C.J. Miles just signed a new deal with Indiana. Are you guys at all upset about losing him? C.J. was kind of a beloved son here in Utah, and we were sad to see him go. But, um, you know, what was Cleveland's point of view on him? We like, you know, um, some of the folks in, like, the Cavs Twitter sphere uh, aren't the biggest fans of C.J. Miles. Uh, but there's no doubt he was our best shooter the last two seasons. We have very few other shooters like him. He shot very well for us compared to his Utah numbers. We didn't really know what to expect when he signed him two years ago, just a small you know, $2 million a year kind of deal. And this year, this past season, wasn't even guaranteed. We you know, had that option to just cut him if we wanted to at any point in time this last summer. Uh, so, C.J. Miles was great for us. Um, it's a decent amount of money that Indiana gave him, so I think there might be a little bit of you know consternation among people of C.J. Miles is really worth $4.5 million. Can you find bench shooters that are cheaper uh, but I really enjoyed CJ from the perspective of he was a, a streaky shooter, and the Cavs had no shooters at all. And we played really well with him on the court this season. Uh, him and Kyrie worked well together. Um, he was he was pretty good for us last year. So I, I really enjoyed CJ Miles. Uh, he was also perhaps the best guy uh, in the locker room. Uh, the media spoke always highly of CJ. He uh, was well respected of <laughs> of all the, the chaos that happened at the Cavs this year. Uh, there was never a bad word ever said about CJ Miles. So. I'm a fan, uh, and in Indiana, he also makes sense for a bench shooter perspective. It's going to be a very similar role, you have to assume. There, I mean, their shooting yeah. was just god awful last year. Now, the bench is just terrible. Oh man, the oh, goodness! It was horrible. It, very hard to watch, honestly. But you you mentioned waiters briefly, and and you also mentioned David Blatt and sort of the new the new type of culture. And and you were just mentioning also CJ Miles as a, as a locker room type of guy, and and. Even if a, a Hayward thing were to not come to fruition, if they were to to decide that they were you know a little reticent about offering the deal because they're they're sure the Jazz are going to match anything like that, do you do you think Waiters is still a part of the long term future there, or with the things that started happening this year, are are things starting to maybe trend in another direction for that? What do what do Cle- I know Cleveland fans are opinions can be very divisive. Is there a general opinion on that, or are feelings still very mixed? Uh, feelings are mixed for sure. Uh, when we drafted Wiggins, the initial, you know, oh, okay, you've got Kyrie, Dion, and Wiggins. That's your three guards, uh, you know, guards, you know, that's your small, that's your starting lineup in a sense. That's who you're going to build around for the future with all of them being pretty young. Uh, and then at the post draft, 
press conference, uh, Dave Griffin, the GM, went out and specifically called Wiggins a big two-guard, saying that if he's going to do well in the league, he's going to do so as a dominant big two-guard. Uh, you know, he's a big guy with lankiness. Uh, and so after that, the Cavs fans were like, oh, what about, where's Dion Waiters sit in that equation? Yeah. Uh, Dion has like a, you know, a combo guard kind of perspective who can create, but also, if, you know, if he's going to be successful in Kyrie Irving, it would be as a two guard, essentially. So as of now, we kind of think Dion's gone regardless. Uh, mm-hmm. The Cavs will add shooters. They might go after Hayward. They might go after somebody else. I'm not sure. Um, but we kind of think Dion's just on the way out from the investment we have in Kyrie the hope to get more shooters and the investment we have in Wiggins. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, there have been, you know, talks of maybe a, uh, you know, if things worked out that way, a sign-and-trade uh, to Utah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, you know, you guys certainly have a glut of uh, guards as well with Exum and, and uh, Burke long-term, so I'm not sure uh, if you'd be interested in Deion Waiters, but I guess the Cavs are probably saying that's every team in the NBA right now. I I wouldn't personally, but that's yeah, ju- that's just me. Um, and I I think that on honestly, and this might might be why he could end up, uh, you know, at least one reason why he could end up not being a part of the long term future with you guys is I'm not sure how well he fits into the sort of style that I think Blatt's going to be trying to play. We talk about that that video from Coach mm-hmm. Nick about the w- with all the, the the amazing cuts and things like that. And he's probably not going to take it to that level in the NBA, but uh, you know, Waiters is a ball stopper, and the the Jazz are going to do the Jazz are going to have a very similar types of things. They're going to very likely have some motion offense coming in and things like that with Quinn Snyder, and it's hard to say whether a player like that really fits into that sort of long-term philosophy. And it might be the same in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% certain yet. You know, if if Kyrie Dion and Wiggins were your three guys you're going to invest in, I think Black could make it work. I think you know, Dion and Kyrie would share ball handling responsibilities primarily. Wiggins isn't really there yet in his career. So it, it could work theoretically if, if Dion is still some of the primary duties with with uh, Kyrie, but as of just now, from the way the the Cavs has been talking about it, I don't see him coming back. Yeah, it sounds doubtful. Anyway, Jacob, I thank you again for joining us. It's always great to have another perspective from around the league, um, and I really appreciate yeah you joining us on the show today. Absolutely, guys. You guys are uh, some really bright dudes, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for inviting me along. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Jacob Rosen again for those of you who have not seen definitely check out waiting for next year uh, especially if you have any sort of Cleveland sports interest whatsoever no, and, but check out the sports analytics and blog. yeah that's, and that's, sports that's, analytics blog is great it's honestly it's it's the I one of my favorite resources online for all sports you know I was asking them yesterday for for some really good soccer follows for you know on Twitter for the World Cup to get me up, updated and informed and link me straight to a big article that's got 25 names in it that I can follow for the you know for soccer it's, it's a really great resource yeah soccer analytics is one of those fields that's actually growing and is, is pretty interesting right now. Um, they were the first people to actually have sport view esque technology mm-hmm. because there aren't really any other stats that are statistically significant in soccer because there are just so few goals. But anyway, that's that's another topic here yeah. that won't be discussed on the Salt City Hoops show. Um, as fun as it would be. I, okay, maybe one day. During the offseason, not during in August. Time, like in yeah, August, like we sep- can do it. August, September. Um, I think it's interesting that Cleveland thinks Andrew Wiggins is a big two guard. To me, that's ridiculous. Like, he has gigantic. He, he obviously has the size to play the small forward position, right? He'd yeah. be one of the bigger small forwards in the league, quite frankly, probably, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't his skill set match that position better than it does the two guard? To me, that 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 seems a lot like when PJ Colosimo thought Kevin Durant was a big two guard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Just because a guy can shoot and, I guess, take people off the dribble doesn't mean that 
the two is is the best position for which him. we're not even 100 percent sure he can do either of those things at an nba level uh and, and no and I, I in general i'd agree and also that would sort of tug at my general feelings that especially if you're going to be playing a, a a more european style system like they might be looking to with a david blatt where, where with a lot of movement and things like that i just i find it less important which de- exact designation your wing players receive and that's another thing i wrote again in, in the x and piece i did yesterday is i just i'm i'm not sure how important that is anymore necessarily the, no, the, the, and of course context that context is everything in that kind of a discussion because there are you can't just put like three guys that could play small forward as your three wings and and call it good right but i, I think that makes more it, it makes more of a difference on defense than it does yeah, on offense definitely. right who wiggins ends up guarding and if he yeah. guards two guards you know on the Dion waiters alec burks mold i think that may be Underutilizing him a little bit, I think it may make sense to put him on the bigger guys. Yeah, you would hope that they would be flexible in a, in that right. regard because he projects to be at at, a, at least a two position guy in terms of being able to guard, if not three yeah. position. There there should be as he bulks up a little, there should be some fours that he can even not you know his length will help him out with and things like that. You would hope that they're for defensively, yeah, that they're not gonna sort of uh, bottle him up into just one designation there. That's true. Okay, so I I want to get into uh, the Lance Stevenson thing. Because you you grimaced when I even mentioned the name. Um, I really just Jan. I'm just gonna say up front. I don't like Lance Stevenson as a player, as a human. I just I just don't like a, it. But anyway. No. Okay. So here's the thing. I, I in my view, he put up similar production to Gordon Hayward last season. Um, less usage, to be sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he's that kind of all around player that that brought a lot to Indiana last season. And by a lot of metrics, by the way, he had a better season than Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. did last season. So Efficiency-wise. And in terms yeah. of would you rather – I guess I'm looking at it this way. Would you rather pay Lance Stevenson $9 million a year or Gordon Hayward 15 I thought you were going to say like 11 or 12 and Well, I guess he turned Stevenson. down a five-year $44 million offer from Indiana. Yeah. That being said, the market is reportedly tight for Lance Stevenson. Yeah. No one really wants to t- take on those antics. But if a team is willing to – then maybe they're getting a good value in free agency when players like Ben Gordon are getting four and a half and you know Gordon Hayward's getting 15. Maybe instead of overpaying in free agency, maybe you have an asset. The, you know, that's none of what you're saying is is impossible, of course. And and if you really believe, if you do your interviews and your due diligence with someone like Lance, and you truly believe that the coaching staff you've brought on board here is is stable enough, and the culture here is stable enough that. Lance is not going to be someone who causes problem because on you know honestly if something like you know and I know that the Jazz haven't been in a high pressure situation like a conference finals like Indiana was this last year they haven't been in that position for a while but if you know down the line an issue like that just the stuff he was doing in this year's conference finals and the distraction that that caused for Indiana as a team things like that just are not going to fly in a place like Utah. It's just not going to work. What do you mean the stuff he was doing? Off the court or on the court? B- both. The, the the things he was sa- the things he just insisted on saying to the media, disp- literally despite his teammates two lockers over being like, this guy should shut up. <laughs> like, he just kept doing it. Antagonizing LeBron. I mean, did people not learn after a while to stop antagonizing Jordan? Like, the, that happened at a certain point. Even Reggie Miller stopped. Hey, Deshaun Stevenson won the Stevenson-LeBron battle. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, I just 
Okay, so again, if you truly believe that you can clamp down on that stuff, that you can make Lance a, a, a team player and someone who really only wants the, the, the success of his team and doesn't get emotional in these high-pressure moments and, and start to damage his team, then you could have an argument that paying him $9 million a year, if he can show the same sort of versatility and, and efficiency that he did last year, and especially if he can continue towards 40% from three-point range being a consistent thing there, then yeah, you could have a conversation about whether he's more valuable at $6 million less a year than a Gordon Hayward would be. I'm I'm just thoroughly unconvinced that that is a possibility. No, I I think that's fair. And I I honestly am throwing this out there kind of, again, as a devil's advocate Mm -hmm. slash to troll. But I I think it's a reasonable discussion to say what is the value of team chemistry and what is the value of keeping a system in place? And, you know, the Jazz are, by all accounts, one of the teams in the NBA that that cares most about that team chemistry and cares Mm -hmm. most about the Jazz system and the Jazz way of being, if you will. So, you know, Lance isn't really an option for the Jazz in in actuality. But, you know, as kind of a intellectual exercise, how do I maximize this cap space to get me the best team possible? I, I think it's an interesting question for some team out there to take on. Absolutely, and that and that sort of thing, that sort of maybe a little bit outside the box type of thinking, really does when it's done correctly, and when you're sort of kicking the tires on lots of those types of things, you're gonna f- eventually find some moves that are gonna you know that are gonna be real wins for your team. That little taking advantage of little not loopholes, but li- you know just little situ- advantageous situations where you might be able to find some added value where at, where other teams aren't gonna see it, and that's. That's one. That's a potential for that sort of thing, but the risk, as we're saying, is is very very high. And for a franchise like Utah that that, that cares so much about that sort of stuff, it's it's always going to be tough. If I, maybe if I could get him for three years, in and with a team option on the fourth or something like that, but I find it unlikely that he's going to sign a deal like yeah. that. If not impossible that he's going to sign a deal like that, but it, I guess if you could, and I wouldn't even consider going much over that nine figure that you cited uh, in terms of a per year thing that. <laughs> very, very unlikely that I would look at it. I, I yeah. it wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't kick the tires on anything. That's all. That's generally that's always my opinion. Is that it? You know, as long as you're not signing any the dotted line at the bottom of anything, what's wrong with looking at things? And I think Dennis Lindsay is the type of GM who does that in a variety of circumstances. So let me ask you before I move on to the crazy trade idea of the week: if the Jazz decide not to go with Hayward, let's say he gets a max deal and they just decide too rich for my blood, where you know. What's the next step? Who would you look at in terms of kind of a replacement? For I would minutes? look at Parsons, although I, I do think they have a bit of a wink-wink deal going on over there in Houston, and I don't think there's really much chance that he signs an offer sheet with somebody. Oh, I think he, so, too. And, and maybe it, the only chance you get him is, again, signing a max deal. Maybe. And maybe then Houston says no. Yeah. It, it, it's like, and, it, and, of course, if he is on the market, there are going to be a lot of teams interested. The Jazz are going to be far from the only one, and you're probably right. They do. They probably do have to overpay, and I, I probably agree overall with Jacob. I, in, I would take Hayward over over Parsons, especially yeah. if it's the same money. If the, it would be a, a, if you could get Parsons for 12, where you get Hayward for 15, then it becomes a little bit of a closer argument, uh, especially since Parsons had a better year shooting last year than Hayward did. But again, we're not paying for last year. You're paying for the future years. And in the, and as Jacob says, in the seasons where they were on, where they were both playing the same sort of complementary role, Hayward's shooting numbers were better. So I, I, that's somebody I would look at. I guess you'd have to kick the tires on a Lance. Uh, PJ Tucker, I don't remember. Was he unrestricted or restricted? Uh, I don't know. I think um, he's restricted. I like the PJ Tucker option. I mean, you kind of wonder if his last season was a fluke with Phoenix, but, you know, 
he put up really good production as a starter there for Phoenix and you know was a big part of their growth last season mm-hmm. and, and surprising growth. Um, I also think maybe you look at Trevor Ariza, although that's kind of you worry about the contract year sort of thing. Yeah, and he's going to have a hefty price. He's one of those guys that I'm not. But if he goes elsewhere, which again I think is super un- not not very likely. He's very he's probably going back to Washington. I I see that absolutely. You look at the couple of years before his contract year last year, where he was playing in a very similar situation. He you know that was there's a very good chance that that was an aberration. You do see contract years from guys that happen from now and then. And I, I do, I think that's, I wouldn't be looking to with the price tag that he's sure to carry. I probably wouldn't be looking at him. One option that you would have that I'll just toss out there briefly is that, and this is of course, as always relates back to my uh, insane love for Alec Burks is you wouldn't, do you necessarily have to immediately fill a two guard position or, you know, a wing position if you don't match on Gordon Hayward this summer um, well, you need someone to back up that spot at least. You right? do. You need, you need someone who could play at least twenty minutes a game. Yeah. Either you know maybe spread between the two and the three, but mm-hmm. you know Burke Exum and Burks is not enough. No, and and could, well, wait, but what I'm saying is, could you maybe look at a a, a less hefty price tag type of guy, uh, maybe more of a veteran? Maybe you try. I, I'm not, I'm not thinking of a specific player off the top of my head, but and then. Maybe you can give a look to uh, he's pro- again he's probably in a vacuum going to be too expensive, but like a Spencer Hawes or a, uh, a Channing Fry is going very likely going back, I think, but or maybe going to be too expensive. But guys like him, maybe look to to increase your shooting from the big spots since the Jazz are you know hey, Cantor can shoot, but other than that, they're a little bit weak in that area in terms of guys that can stretch the floor from the big positions. Maybe you could look there. I think it might open up a little bit of, of flexibility. Although again, that's I think they're going to match Hayward, and I think we're in agreement on that yeah no i i think they will too and i think that's probably the right move in the end mm-hmm. but you know the discussion's fun and I, and I do think that even if they do resign hayward they may need a a backup there or mm-hmm. you, you know you need some sort of guy to take up minutes or be able to step in if somebody gets yeah. hurt and the one thing we, i will something we forget about sometimes yeah the one the one thing i did want to say really briefly and it's not directly it is related to the hayward thing is that <sighs> I tire of seeing the, and I, this is just me making a little, uh, a little Ben statement. I, I get, I get a little tired of seeing like, yeah, okay. Mark Stein reported that the Jazz could have potentially had Hayward for four years, fifty-two, uh, over oh, last off season right. before before he became a restricted free agent. Cool. Whether that's <laughs> whether that whether that's correct or not, cool. They didn't. <laughs> it, it's the future now. Like it's now. Now that's, no, but that's I, the past. And I, and I understand you can you can you can critique and and if they do end up matching a, a max deal for him, that, and they really could have had him for four years, fifty two back then, then sure that doesn't look awesome. That you know they they paid more than they had to. They they could have done it differently. But you know there are way more. You can't see the future, and there were way more things at play back then. If it was a small decision that cost you a few, so what, man? We're in the. It's now. Let's 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 talk about now and let's you know. No, okay. So I I actually kind of disagree on this. I I think it's interesting that if the Jazz could have gotten Hayward, you know, outright with four four fifty two, that they turned that down. And and I think you have to look at you know whether or not that was a smart decision. I, I agree. Uh, and uh, I agree that like we shouldn't. R- Yell at the front office. You know, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world for them to spend an extra, say, ten million dollars over the next four seasons. It, it's not. You know, it's it's a Jeremy Evans here. You know, it, yeah, it, it doesn't matter that much. But I think it's interesting in terms of how the front office thinks. I think that there are bigger and more important moves that make clearer what's going on in the front office head. You know, moving forward. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, 
the one that always strikes me as weird is the fact that the Jazz didn't at all try to resign Kyle Korver. Um, yeah. Th- those sort of moves, I think, are the sort of things that you look at a front office and, and maybe worry about what their decision-making process is. You know, whether or not they spend 13 or 15 on Gordon Hayward in the end doesn't matter that much, right? Yeah. And if you, and if you, yeah, of course, if you want to, looking at it from that standpoint of, of, of analyzing the mindset of a front office and analyze, you know, analyzing the, the, the direction and the, and, and yeah, of course you can go into specific decisions and especially when you're looking at, uh, at trends and, and things that have happened over a, a period of multiple years. But I, well, I'm, I guess I'm referring, I'm taking more of a, taking a petty little stand again. You know, I'm tired of seeing that on my Twitter against, timeline. Yeah, the, like I'm, t- I'm tired of seeing like, oh boy, sure would have been cool if they had taken <laughs> that four years 52 last year. The, like, yeah, we get sarcasm. it. Like we, we, we get it. And yeah, okay. Yeah, no, and I agree. And rega- with regards to the Kyle Corver point, I should make clear that that was like a totally different front office in yeah. terms of who was actually in charge and Blah, 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 blah. But I, I, I think that there are much bigger issues to care about mm-hmm. than um, whether or not Hayward gets 13 or 15. Like yeah. the fact, for example, that we just got Dante Exum is, you know, is a far bigger deal than whatever it happens is. with Hayward. It is. That's why I wanted to write about him and take a little of the focus off the free agency thing, which I, which I don't know if people have noticed. I really enjoy doing that. I enjoy <laughs> ri- I enjoy, or it just seems to happen. I don't know if I enjoy doing it or it just happens. Like I write about things and then something huge breaks the day it comes out and like no matter what. Yeah, that's and happened. it's like, no, Ben's talking about Dante X. Yeah. Oh, and I really liked your piece yesterday on it, too. I, I, I liked what you had to add there. Well, okay, but it. I want to get to the crazy trade idea of the week before we sign out. Um, and it actually has something to do with a topic we just discussed in terms of getting shooting at the big man position. So the other, uh, uh, we also have a lot of cap space, um, the Utah Jazz do. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that this trade kind of makes sense in the same way that it did last season. The idea is that Jazz will trade the 2016 Memphis second that they just received in the Jarnell Stokes deal for the number 35 pick. Um, and will receive Donatus Montejunas, the I believe he was picked two or three years ago. Yeah, um, three years ago sounds right. Basically a large, a big man who can shoot from outside, hit a lot of corner threes last season. Um, and Jeremy Lin's contract, which is on the cap for $8.5 million dollars. Basically, the idea is Houston gets a lot of cap space to go after their free agency targets. The Jazz get a big man who can shoot in Montejunas. Jeremy Lin, who's you know is a good player, can soak up a lot of minutes, would bring a lot of uh, attention and marketing into Utah, and you know make the Jazz a little bit of a better team. What yeah, do you think? I, I like it, and the Jazz are absolutely going to be one of the potential destinations should Houston, you know, receive some types of commitment from a, a bigger player that they need that cap space from Lynn. We've all seen the the stuff happening yesterday with like they dissed him or whatever on the with putting the 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 photoshopped Carmelo picture wearing number seven, which is actually Lynn's number, and right. we spent the whole day debating whether <laughs> or not his people had knowledge of that beforehand, which is extremely vital, of course, and. Uh, I do think that in that potential type of a scenario where the where the Jazz, you know, they match a Hayward offer this year and or end up making one of their own. I'm, by the way, the one thing I didn't mention, I'm really hoping the Jazz might make their own offer and get them for five years, twelve million a year, and say, "Hey, you're still getting the same amount of guaranteed money anyway, just over more years." I don't know if it's likely. You're so but, angrily sarcastic right now. No, I love I know. this. I'm sorry, uh, but. In a situ in a situation where that where something like that happened, but they didn't make any more major moves, and they still had a good amount of cap space sitting there, they're not going to want to be below the cap floor and just have to pay everybody extra money. And that's some that's a way that they could use up some of that extra cap is eating a a contract from a team that needed to throw off some salary, like they did uh, last year. 
with the the Golden State deals to net themselves a couple extra picks, one of which turned into Rodney Hood. Could end up being a very good move there if Rodney Hood's a good player. And yeah, I don't mind those types of things. His contract comes off the year after that. It would be a few more bucks for the Jazz to pay. I'm not I'm, I'm not looking at the number right in front of me, but they would have to. His cap hit is like eight million, but I think the actual number they're paying him would be. Wouldn't it be significantly more, like right. a, a thirteen that, million think, or something like yeah, that? Thirteen or fourteen. So the, the Jazz would have a few extra bucks to shell out, and we'd have to make sure that everybody was cool with that. But it, you know, and I think it'd be a nice move, and, and yeah, it would space things a little bit, and it would it would allow the Jazz at least the fl- you know Monte Yunus wouldn't stay on the on the roster for too long. How many? I think he has either one or two years left, right? Too. And so he again he wouldn't be necessarily a long term piece unless he really you know made a leap and you wanted him to be. But he oh, but he would. Give the Jazz, you know, give the the team and the, and the coaching staff a chance to see what this this roster could look like with a bit of spacing from the big spots. For, so if they're, you know, down the line, if some, you know, in next year's draft, if there's a Kristaps Porzingis in the draft that the Jazz <laughs> might look at, who they better if there will be, um, you know, as a guy that projects that could be a floor spacer from the five spot or you know anybody like that, where they could at least have a view of what it is and and they could do some some positive things for themselves. And I think this sort of trade, it's not too crazy, honestly. We could we could very well see a thing like that happen. No, and in fact, on so this is from the Real GM trade boards, which is you know the best source in oh, terms yeah. of actual rumors that could actually happen. But um, Houston fans actually think that's maybe not enough in terms of what the Jazz are going to be receiving, just the prospect of Montejunas. Maybe they Might need to pick. get another first-round pick in that deal. Maybe they need to send in $1.5 or $3 million in cash as well to kind of subsidize the Jeremy Lin extra money. They, they think that prospect is not enough for just taking on that you know, $15 million mm-hmm. of payments that the Jazz will actually have to make. Uh, you know, maybe if you can get another first round pick in there, great. Then you have another prospect in next year's draft. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, good luck getting that out of Maury. But if you could, I mean, that'd be great. Hey, if Houston fans are say are saying, "Hey, go ahead and take our first round picks for next year," maybe it could actually happen. It's true, it could. And and you you know that I would. Boy, that would be if they could actually get a first round pick out of that. That would be. But at the same time, you look at it, and it's from the Jazz's angle, you can say, "Hey, we're facilitating your." Because in this type of situation, you're assuming that they're they're probably getting a maybe not Carmelo, but they're getting somebody, right? Right. And if that's if that's happening, and it's like, guys, we're facilitating you becoming a, a superpower in this league. We're facilitating your third superstar. We're, you know, we're this. It's going to cost you. Like right, we, we know what this move is for. This isn't a move in a vacuum. Everybody knows what you're doing it for, and that there's an extra cost attached to that sort of thing. And actually, as a side note, that was one of the big issues in last year's Golden State deal is whether or not the they were going to be using that for Andre Iguodala, or a lot of people thought it was going to be for, for Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that actually changed the nature of those discussions in terms of how much the Jazz could expect to receive based on who they were getting. Anyway, we're out of time on today's show. I, thanks again for Jacob Rosen to, for joining us today. Um, a great follow on Twitter. It's Jacob WFNY waiting for next year. Um, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy B. Larson, you on Twitter at Ben underscore Dowsett. Uh, follow us at saltcityhoops.com for all the latest jazz news and analysis. This is Andy Larson signing out.